Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, God's will was that we should have Christmas service, and so His will be done. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is it's great, and we're we're really appreciative. Thank you for coming, those of you who who, who did. Uh, and um, I don't know what else to say, but yeah. This is this is really special. Um, just a reminder: we uh, we will be flying out. Uh, Chris and I are flying out tomorrow. That was the earliest flight that we could get, uh, and we'll be back for class. We won't have uh, service on New Year's Day, but on the third and the fourth, Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll have our regular weekday class at 3 p.m. And then after that, we're off again. We'll be back. Um, on the 17th, I believe, a Tuesday meeting here. Chris and I get back on the 15th, so we'll have class and back to our regular schedule on uh, January 17th. So, and thank you for your understanding on all of that. And uh, let's uh, begin with prayer and let's just be grateful and thankful for the birth of our Lord and for uh, His Word and all that He has so much blessed us with that we're ready to hear this morning. We'll be talking about God's will uh, and how that will is a part of our uh, accepting the things that God has uh, done in our lives and is doing. And uh, so with that, in humility, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for our Lord and Savior your response to our fall was to make us new. Uh, rather than just flat out judge us all, you judged your Son in our place. And through His sacrifice, you have made all who have believed upon Him new creatures in His image. A new humanity. A humanity that can obey your will as He did, accept your will as He did, because we have His nature. And so, Father, a plan that you have devised for our salvation of which no one could have ever imagined, but yet you, through your incredible grace and mercy, have provided it for us. And though we're slow in the uptake so often and we don't fully understand or what we do think we understand, we don't apply. But we thank you for your forgiveness, Father, and your patience because of the life that you've given us. Uh, it is truly wonderful. So thank you for the birth of our Lord. Uh, thank you for becoming a man. Uh, again, that's something that no one would have ever thought to do, but you did on our behalf. And therefore, that God-man is our mediator, our Lord, our husband, our master, and the one who intercedes for us and prays for us daily. We long to meet him face to face and you, Father. But until that day, may we glorify you. And we ask in Christ's name, Amen. All rise, please. Oh, you don't have to rise. I just said that for everybody to hear.
Uh, let's. Uh, we're going to begin in Hebrews 10. Uh, what I, I sent out an email to everyone who's on the list that we were having service today, and uh, because I, I had not previously prepared anything, that I sent out. I I requested saying, does anybody have a message they want to hear? And uh, one person replied that they would like to hear about God's will. And I thought, well, perfect, because that's the next thing that's coming up in the Lord's Prayer as we already begun. And to tie it to um, our Lord and, and His life, that something, there's a number of things that just came up that are, that are just wonderful. Uh, wonderful for us, as all it usually is. Um, <clears throat> and another person asked if we could sing a Christmas carol at the end of service. So I'm saying that out loud so I don't forget when we get to the end. And I'm like, all right, buddy, yeah, Merry Christmas, and then we forget. So we'll, we will do that also. Um, the will of God. Uh, the The Lord has... Uh, given us in his prayer the uh, we're forced by using his and again you don't have to pray the exact words but the thoughts the, the what they mean most definitely I, I'm fully convinced of that that he has given us this prayer on purpose and what we have here is you know first off our father uh, we're confronted with the realization that God is our Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and not only just ours, He's not just my Father, He's your Father. And so we have this body of Christ, unity in the body of Christ. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters uh, to one another. Uh, Holy be your name is that we glorify Him and that His name means what He is, His characteristics, His attributes. His many names of God, all of them speak to something about Him or what He does. And we are to glorify that name. Holy be Your name. Your kingdom come, we're to look for that kingdom, even though it's not coming in our lifetime. But Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says we are to long for it and we're to look for it. And that, what that means is, is uh, even though it's not coming in our age here on earth, the king is in us, the laws of the kingdom are in us, the way of the kingdom is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us. So, I mean, we've ha- we have what makes the kingdom within us, and we're not to be looking uh, on this earth for uh, things of fulfillment or things to please us. Not that the things can't please us, but you know uh, we're not to be looking for happiness and fulfillment here in the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, the kingdoms of the earth are flawed. Uh, some are better than others. Some have been better than others, but all of them flawed. And uh, I think the United States of America is the greatest kingdom that's ever existed. We don't call it a kingdom, of course. It's a republic, but... Um, Still, as we see, and not just now is it flawed, it always has had flaws because it's made up of people. But in the Lord's kingdom, is also made up of people, but it's going to be resurrected people who are perfect and follow God's will. And that's the third petition, your will be done. The Lord, he, every day we're to pray that God's will is done in our lives. And it is our desire 
that it is done in all other lives as well. That we want, what do we want for others? Uh, you know, sure, we pray for their healing and we pray for their problems to be resolved, and, and those are all legit prayers. We see them in the rest of the scripture. But in reality, what people, what we should want for people is the will of God and the thoughts of God in their hearts. Uh, and, you know, what, it, and in some cases, God is going to leave the problems so that that will happen. And so while we're praying for the problems to go away, God is like, no, the problem is necessary. And hence, what about our own problem? Uh, <clears throat> if, if we can glorify God in the midst of a bunch of problems, it is far more glorifying, for lack of a better term, than to glorify God when everything's going easy. If we're in heaven and resurrection body and everything's perfect, uh, it's pretty easy to glorify God. But now it's it's difficult. At times it's very difficult. And so we say, God, take away the problems. Take away this sin that drags me down. Take away this, take away that, or add this or add that. He says, no, no. You have to accept what I give you. And that's a part of God's will. There's two aspects to God's will that we as believers have to confront. And they're very closely related. First is the obvious one is obedience to God's will. Uh, Your will be done. In this prayer, we're basically saying, Father, we are going to obey. Uh, We see this in the Lord. We see this all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. Who is the ones that uh, get in issues and problems and trouble with God and who are the ones that don't? And it's obedience. You know, the, the, I think the greatest example is the Exodus generation. It's so plain on the pages of Scripture that why? Why did they suffer so much? They failed to obey. And we're told they failed to obey because they failed to believe. And so, you know, when the, with the Exodus, when they have no water, is that God's will? And the answer was, yeah. I mean, everything was. Everything was God's will. They saw the ten plagues of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, God was with them. There's a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire at night that they're following. God is with them. They hear the voice of God from heaven at Sinai. God is with them. So when God allows things, did they accept them? Even the manna from heaven, they, they got sick of it and said, we want meat. And this is all showing us the second part is the acceptance. The acceptance of God's will. It was God's will that we have a Christmas service. We had to accept that. I had to accept that, of course. And it was the will of God for us to give us, for him to give us his son. So look at Hebrews 10.1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, that first sentence is very important. You see that the law, which is the Mosaic law, is only a shadow. Right? Do shadows have substance? No. They're, they, they're formed by the substance. What it's so, uh, only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form. And we're going to focus on that word for just a little bit. It didn't have the form of things. 
in the law, and as he continues to say, that same sacrifices were brought year by year, but they didn't make anybody perfect. In other words, that's why they had to be offered again and again and again. Otherwise, verse 2, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had the consciousness of sin. In other words, they would have been cleansed. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says. So this sets us up for now comes the one who is the sacrifice. And he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And that's from Psalm 40. This is a psalm of David. And David, again, prophetically, like he so often did, is prophetically, prophetically, uh, uh, speaking of himself, but also of his future son, who would be Jesus Christ. And so when he comes into the world, he says, this is, this is uh, foretold, that it wouldn't be these blood offerings that would take away sin, nor would it be these blood offerings of animals that would give God pleasure. He said, you have taken no pleasure in them, but then I, I have come. So this, the one that comes, who is Jesus Christ, God has taken pleasure in. Right? So after Jesus is baptized, what does God say from heaven? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? I'm pleased in him. This is my the servant, which is also from Isaiah chapter 42, um, which is the first servant song. The son, the servant, would come and do what? What does a servant do? Does God's will. And that will would be very hard at times. So after saying, continuing, because uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to repeat this because it's so important. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them. Again, he's repeating it, right? So it sticks to us, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. Notice what he repeats. I have come to do your will. He takes away the first Mosaic law in order to establish the second. Which is what? Well, getting back to the first verse, the form. That's what he's establishing. The law had a shadow of the good things to come, but not the very form. So he took away the shadow, and he gave us the form. And, and so if he gives us this form, though, and we can't be a part of it, then, you know, great, God, I'm, I'm glad you did this, but, you know, if I can't be a part of that form, then... Yeah, I'm going to die in my sins because the you know the animal sacrifices aren't going to save me, obviously. So he adds this in verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ. And there's a beautiful phrase, once for all. It's done. You know, our sins, my sins, which are many, are too many. I'm still a saved man. 
and I still have a future, a very bright future, all of us do, of, you know, of what? His will. Now, am I inducted into this? Well, he says in verse 10, by this will, whose will? The Lord is following the will of the Father, and that will of the Father is going to take him to Gethsemane, where he's going to say, if this can pass from me. So from his birth to his death, it, at his death he's going to be brought right to the, right to the foot of the cross, and he, by the will of the Father he is going to allow himself. He said, I lay down my life. He is going to allow himself to be crucified. And not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Father and to save us. And so by his will, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. Back to the first verse. It's fascinating how this is worded. The law, again, was a shadow. Uh, the Greek word is, uh, it starts with an SK or something. It sounds like shadow. But the form, notice, the. go back to verse 1 again. Uh, it said, for uh, the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, and this word form is icon. I don't know why I didn't make a slide for it, but whatever. Uh, and this icon, this word, is usually translated image in the New Testament. Here it's translated form, and so you would, by the English, you would miss its connection to so many other passages. Uh, and so this image is, what is it? Well, icon means... Uh, it's a term that's used very often for the Lord Jesus Christ and as well for the human race and also for the new nature or the new creature in the church age. The born-again believer, it's used for us in a very special way, form, or really image. And we find out that Jesus is this image, and you can. we're going to come back here, so if you want to hold your place, go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1.15. Now here's icon. Same word as form in Hebrews 10. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now firstborn means that he's the one who inherits everything. You see plainly in this passage that Jesus is the creator of all things and that he is before all things. He is the creator. But as a creature, he is, meaning as a man, He's the firstborn among all humanity. And I think it's in verse 18 or no, it's verse 19. It says that he is the firstborn from the dead. Same word, prototakos. This Greek word means uh, the, the preeminent first son. And in that culture, especially in Judaic culture of, of the ancient world, the firstborn son was the inheritor of everything. That's why you had Jacob and Esau with their arguing going on. And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means the exact representation, meaning you can't see God. This was often said in the Old Testament. You can't see him. He's not a person. He's not a form. But yet, in the person of Christ who comes into this world as a baby, that's God. That is the form of God. And we'd scratch our heads and say, well, it's just a kid. 
but he's way more. And, and I think even for those of us who have been studying about him for decades, he's way more than we know too. This is something to him that is a lifetime of discovery. And as you know, we sang, and it, it, it's uh, incredible, the, some of the, the words to these Christmas songs, the, the right Christmas songs, is that we fall on our knees before him. He's the only one worthy of praise. And so he is the image of the invisible God. Now, this word image is used in quite a few places, uh, but we'll see first off that the Lord Jesus gave us his nature. And so skip forward to Colossians 3, you're in 1.15, look at 3.9. It says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. This is very similar to Ephesians 4 where we're told to lay aside the old man and put on the new. He says old self and put on the new self. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's icon again. So in Hebrews 10, 1, Jesus is the form, whereas the law was the shadow. Jesus is the icon. What is he the icon of? The invisible God. He's God in the flesh. And when he made us new through his cross, he gave us his icon. We're being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're created by the Lord, by his will. By his submission to the will of God. So you may remember that in Genesis 1, it said that man and woman was created in the image of God. That's Now, when we fell, what happened to that image? Did it disappear? Were we no longer in the image of God? Well, the Bible tells us that we were still in the image of God. In Genesis 9, 1 Corinthians eleven seven says that we are the image of God. And so it wasn't entirely effaced. We didn't lose the image of God, but it became tainted. Um, and we understand, unlike the animal world, all mankind still has godlike qualities. Right? People can love goodness and beauty. They appreciate it. They love it. Unbelievers do. The animal world can't do that. But in the fall of man, we cease to be the perfect vehicle of representing God. Right? Image of God. Therefore, Adam, before he fell was an icon of God. He represented him. He showed forth. You say, you meet Adam. You say, you know, that's an image of God. That's a picture of God. And then we became sinners. And what was God's response? That he would send the Son, who as a man would be the image of the invisible God, and then he would die for us. And by dying for us, he would give us his image. And now you have it. And I know I, you look in the mirror and you go, where's the image? <laughs> you know, you, you think of your behavior at times and you're like, um, image, really? And yet, this is very true. And what God is telling us to do here is, right, by faith, is to grab hold of what we are. And to do that, 
right, getting back to what we have here. Oh, it's actually up here on the slide now. In Second uh, Peter one four, we looked at this uh, this past week that we have the divine nature and that we can partner with. So the divine nature is a lot like this image, and we can partner or fellowship with or partner with that image, and we do so by acceptance and obedience. All right, we accept God's will for our lives. <clears throat> and why would we do that? Well. Uh, you know, we can either try and control our own lives, which control is an illusion, and we know this. We're all supposed to have self-control. That is a virtue, uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit. But to control my circumstances, and I can try, but it's impossible. And so, and this freaks a lot of people out, right? Because if you can't control anything, what if you people want to control, they want to control their circumstances, they want to control outcomes, they want to control people, and they can't. And they get very frustrated, and it's what the Lord told us not to do, they get anxious. And they get very worried. What are they going to do? What, what's going to happen? Right, you can't, we, well, just read the news. It's all bad. <laughs> right, The economy, everything, it's all bad. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to control it? Now, this is what God puts before us. God says, look, I control everything, and you can trust me. Or you can try and control it yourself and be very worried and anxious. Right? Jesus said very simply, look at the lilies, look at the birds. Your father takes care of them. He'll take care of you. You're far more valuable. So relax and enjoy life. Enjoy what I've given you. And know it's my way. How am I supposed to enjoy the, the stuff that's hard? Well, we'll go from enjoying to contentment maybe. And just say that, well, look, this is God's will. It is God's will. And no suffering, no matter how what it is, is permanent. None of it is. So when Jesus comes to the earth, by God's grace, he accomplishes more than what Adam lost. Adam lost the pure representation or the perfect representation of God. He lost it. He gave it away. And he became a bad representation. Still a representation, but tarnished. And when Jesus came and did for us what he did, uh, he gave us more than what Adam lost. And so, when we go back to here in Hebrews 10, if you want to, I must run through it here quick. He comes into the world, Hebrews 10, 5. He comes to the world and he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Right? That's a virgin birth. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. The scroll here would be the Psalms. It's Psalm 40. To do your will, O God. That's what I'm here to do. And where is that will going to take us? Uh, I'm sure in, in the Lord's life there was a lot of happiness and um, you know things that were, were very good that he enjoyed, uh, obviously. Now, he was a man of sorrows. He, he suffered more than any man by far. 
Uh, but, you know, he would have had good times as well. Uh, but what ultimately, when we see in response to this, uh, every one of us, for, for every one of us, I should say, God's will in our life is going to include suffering. And I don't mean the stuff that we cause by, to ourselves by our sin. We're all going to have that, but we could all avoid that. If we were smart enough and faithful enough, we could avoid a great deal of it. Uh, but on top of that, there's going to be a certain amount of suffering that is outside of that and that God is going to allow to be brought to our lives. And he's going to ask us to accept it. Accept it. Just like the Lord accepted God's will for his life. And so we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and here is the ultimate in acceptance. In Matthew 26, 42, it says, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, you see that phrase? This jumped off the page to me. I'm like, well, holy cow, look at that. Your will be done. It's word for word in the Greek, even. Exactly when he teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's exactly word for word the same. We find the Lord here in the Garden of Gethsemane praying what he told us to pray. So how significant is that? And and this is truly at his weakest, most pressured, most painful point in his life. So did Jesus try to control it? He didn't. Of all people who could, he didn't. We, we know he, with a word he could have stopped. Don't you know, Peter, I can call 12 legions of angels, right? 70,000 angels I can call down right now and put an end to this. But we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it the Father's way. And the Father's way is that I drink it. And that's the cup that contains the sins of the whole world. So again, control of life is an illusion. Only God has control. We are to simply rest in him and trust like the birds and the lilies and not be anxious. Who's better at it? I mean, I know it's very simple, but who's better at controlling things, you or him? Uh, And he, he gives us so much evidence, too, throughout the scripture, saying that I can do this. Like my mind goes to the Exodus generation again. I can't get you to the promised land. It's a piece of cake for me to do it, actually. I bring water from a rock, manna from heaven. I can, I can do it all. But I need you to trust me. And that's what they didn't do. In Hebrews 4, it says they did not mix the promises of God with faith. And in that passage, that's where the writer of Hebrews says, now you enter into God's rest And you will miss it if you don't trust by faith. And so we all have to. So here's the, you know, the, um, I I so wanted this because it's Christmas morning. I wanted this message not to be one of admonishing, you know, do God's will. I didn't want that. What I wanted was something that is of a rejoicing uh, aspect. And, and, And it is, it turns out. That when we look when we look at the will of God as something beautiful, we rejoice in the ability to do it. Like all of us can do it because we're born again, because we're the new creature in His image, and we're all we're all made for it. 
And so instead of looking at the will of God as a bummer, but to look at it and say, you know what? I get to today do his will. And it's wonderful. So what if nobody sees it? He does. You're going to glorify him forever by doing his will. And it takes, you know, you got to be alert. You can't go through life half asleep and do God's will. You have to be alert. You have to be spiritually and doctrinally alert. Uh, you have to know that the Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you to empower you on this and know that He's there to trust Him to do it because you have all that you need to do it, as do I. And I, for me, when I, I don't do it, it's when I get my eyes, I get my eyes on the wrong thing. So the Gospel of John is perfect for this. So let's a few passages in the Gospel of John, and then we'll send you home to presents and fruitcake. <laughs> Jesus says after he speaks to the Samaritan woman that to do the will of the Father was his very food. I want you to think of the implication of this. What is to fill us and satisfy us? Uh, uh, and we should say really uh, worded badly. Uh, how how do we get to this point? How do we get to the place where the will of God satisfies us and fills us? In other words, we don't need anything else. We just need His will, and we can trust Him. Hey, God sent his son into the world as an infant with Herod looking for him to kill him. You're like, God, you're really rolling the dice there, aren't you? And But of course, like, who is going to overthrow his purpose and his design, even though it's an infant? So the implication of this is, you know, what what is it to be filled with and satisfied with the will of God. It satisfied our Lord, and therefore it's a guarantee to satisfy us. Look at John 4.31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's my food. Now think of this. It's, would I really be fully satisfied with doing the will of God? I mean, if it was my necessary food, I'd be thinner. <laughs> but, I, you know, how many in the human race, and including believers, are out there searching, wherever, on the Internet or anywhere else in their own minds and their own imaginations for things that are going to satisfy them. And they never find it. We never find it. We think it's this chemical. We think it's this this hobby or this attraction or this thing, this video or whatever. For some, they think it's pornography or or drugs or alcohol. For others, they think it's uh, a fulfilling work. Uh, career, a fulfilling professional career. Um, the the accolades of others that they are admired by others. They think that's going to make me satisfied. 
And it's very illusory, isn't it? Uh, is that a word? <laughs> an, illu- an illusion in that because for it works for a little while. It distracts you or occupies you for a little bit. And then there's nothing to it. It's vapor. It's just like God says it. You, uh, I forget where it is, but he says you have ashes in your hand and you don't even know it. Because you think it's substance. Now get back. That's a great word for this. What is substance is icon. The form is Christ. He's the only one. The only one who came from heaven and came to earth and stayed here and did something for us. No angel's done that. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit didn't. But the Son was chosen to do that, and he submitted to it. And so the the very substance of heaven came to earth and said to us, you know, I know you threw away the image of God when you fell, but I'm going to give you something better. It's still the image of God, yeah, but... The, the, the privileges that go with this image, the image of Jesus Christ, is far better than the Garden of Eden. And it's heaven itself. So, in the context, so we have Jesus here. What is he doing? In the context of John 4, uh, summon Samaritan. He's already spoken to the Samaritan woman, and she already left and started evangelizing Samaria. She's actually his first evangelist. And she runs to Samaria and tells everybody what Jesus said. And they start to believe and they start to come out to see him. Now, the disciples also went into the city to get supplies. And they come back with food. And they're like, Rabbi, eat. Look, we got food. Here it is. But what is Jesus doing? Well, if the people have come out to speak to him, Jesus is evangelizing. He's speaking to them. He's ministering to the people. And he's not going to take a break to eat. And not that we can't take a break to eat, but to him, speaking to these people at this particular time means lunch can wait. My sustenance is the will of the Father. And I'm not going to interrupt that. For my own needs. I'll get to my needs. Personal, physical needs. Right? Same thing. As, I mean, he went 40 days in the desert without food. He's, a, he's an old hat at this. If he's going to take one day off of not eating to event, or even an afternoon, it's a piece of cake for him. That's kind of a pun, piece of cake, right? But uh, it, the, the implication is that I'm always searching for the will of God to do the will of God and all the other stuff that occupy, it's again, Sermon on the Mount. The people are occupied, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear, who's looking at them, who's, you know, who, what do people think about them, what are people doing, I want to control my life. And Jesus says, leave that to the Father and pursue my kingdom. And you see here how I've done it. Lunch can wait. I'm going to speak to these people, and when I'm done speaking, then... Then yeah, then we can all take a break and have some lunch. So how do we get to this place in our spiritual lives? It's a place where doing God's will is what keeps us going. It's obvious that we would have to know God's will. We would also have to love God's will. And we would have to love God's will more than our own personal desires. We would have to actually be excited to do God's will every day 
and it is very exciting to do so. Again, it doesn't matter if anybody's watching or anybody sees. And if you know, and Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, the only time he told us to beware, well, he told us twice to beware. He said, beware of false teachers. But he also said, beware of doing what you do in front of people to be noticed by them. Because then, you know, we don't really care about God's will. We care about ourselves. So Jesus says that the Father sent him to accomplish his work, right? Verse, this one's easy to skip by. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And so it's a common Greek word for being sent. I'm sending this to you. And Jesus was sent, and also we are sent. When God sends somebody, uh, a person, and, and that person has a purpose, and, and we all have a purpose. All of us, we're shown in the New Testament, are predestinated. Now, we all have a destiny. We all have a predestination, which is the plan of the Father for us. In God's plan, we have a ministry. We have work to do. Uh, we have uh, God's will to do. And that is a wonderful thing, that we have a ministry uh, in which God has set aside work for us to do, and that includes today, Christmas Day, where we have... We have things that God desires for us to do and also for us to enjoy. Now, this predestination has been made before the foundation of the world. We find out also that Jesus was sent before the foundation of the world. This was all pre-designed. Christ's sacrifice was not a reaction by God to the fall of man. Uh, We're told that it was before the foundation of the world that he was predetermined and foreknown to be on that cross. God planned it this way, and it's hard for us to comprehend. But this has all been in the works from before anybody committed one sin, before Satan fell, before Adam and Eve fell. Uh, This has all been the plan of God. And again, who can control things? I mean, that's control. Like, how did he work it all out with the free will of us running around and fallen angels? How did he do that? (laughs) And yet he's infinitely powerful. So we don't have to have control. We can rest in him. All right, go to John 5. Just a couple more. It's interesting that John's Gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ more than any of the other Gospels by far. John's Gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ. It also emphasizes his obedience and acceptance, which seems so contradictory. Almighty God, creator of all things, is obedient to God. Which is, which is why when, when the, the doctrine of... Um, Arius was the first really popular guy in the ancient world to teach that Jesus wasn't God. It was accepted. It was accepted by a lot of people. It was very popular because it makes sense to the natural-minded man. That how could God be a man? Right? How could he be submissive to God? Wouldn't that make him less than God? And so Arius, which is modern-day Jehovah's Witness doctrine, taught that Jesus was not deity. And this was in the uh, uh, 200s, the 3rd century. 
roughly about 230-240 A.D. I mean, the church wasn't all that old yet, and it spread like wildfire to the point where they had to have a council. Constantine, the emperor, had to have a council to try and calm things down. And at that council, I think it was the Council of Nicaea, that they determined that Jesus was God. And so, and Arius was excommunicated, but that didn't stop him. He kept speaking it, and there were plenty of people who still believed it. And they believe it now. So, you know, he's deity, and he submits. So, the application to us is, I'm a new creature in Christ, and my destiny is heaven, and I submit to you, and I submit to others. And, boy, it's something that's in nature... That's probably the last thing to go, maybe. I don't know. The sin nature hates it. That when someone, even when someone is wrong, that I'm going to serve them, you know, I'm going to do what it takes in love to be at peace, to, you know, to, to make it what, what divine way it should be between me and another. And that's on each of us. And it's... Uh, it's something that the Lord did all the time. Look at John 5.16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is how much they hated him. They didn't really find anything to accuse him of, so they could accuse him of healing on the Sabbath. And notice what he says. My father is working until now, and I myself am working. That doesn't seem like a right response, but he says, look, Sabbath or no, my father is working and I'm working and we're going to work. Whether you like it or not, we're going to do the work that is to be done. Same for us. Then, So skip down to verse 30. Amazingly, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I can do, well, I can do this too, and so can you. We, because we're doing his will, we can say with absolute full confidence that what I'm doing is the work of God. And uh, uh, everybody could disagree with me. And I said, well, you're, I know you're in the wrong because I know this is God's will. And if this gives me confidence, not to lord it over them, but to say, look, this is God's will. My judgment is not my own, it's his. My work is not my own, it's his. And so the Lord has been sent into the world to put us in this position. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the position you have forever. And that is the best Christmas present by far. All right, continuing a couple more. Look at John 6, 35. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, 
or who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. To fulfill this will, he's got to die on the cross. And this he knows. If I'm not going to lose anyone, I have to die for them all. So he can't, and I know this is quite silly, but he he can't be on the cross and then when it comes to like your sins or mine, he says, nah, these are too rough. These are too awful. I skip. Let's skip this one. He's got to do it all. Uh, so anyone who comes to him, he can't lose anyone. He can't do this part way. This he understands. Neither can we. It's We have the will of God. You know, I want to take a mallet and hit myself in the head as I say this out loud, but we have the will of God to fulfill fully. And we, if you're doing this, as I sometimes do, uh, to try and make deals with God to compromise it and say, all right, uh, you know, there's your will in this part of my life, but how about my will in this part of my life? And God is not down with that. He's not okay with that. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. I can't lose any of them. And anybody who comes to me, I have to raise them up. So I have to do this fully, all the way. And getting back to what he said, this is his sustenance. This is what keeps him going every day, is the will of the Father. And think, this is the loneliest man, the man who suffered the most of anybody, the most misunderstood man, most definitely, because he wasn't like any of us. And none of us really understood that. Not until after he was resurrected anyway. And yet, he ha- he doesn't sulk about it. Nobody understands me. Can you imagine Jesus doing that? <laughs> that just doesn't fit at all. You know, nobody gets me. Nobody likes me. My Facebook account has zero likes. Nobody calls me. It's Christmas. Nobody called. I could be dead. No one would care. Uh, yes, exactly. Woe is me. Woe is me. And we're we're all kind of run to this when our self pity comes upon us. But he has none. And yeah, I know, we're none of us are perfect like he is. But notice how the will of God so absorbs him. How the will of God becomes what he thoroughly enjoys and to the point where when they all do leave him, and they will, he told them this in the upper room. He said, you're all going to desert me. That he, and he said to them, I am not alone because my Father is always with me. And that's true of us too. I don't remember, year, years passed, you know, my, my first wife died, and I had Alyssa on my own, and Christmas was the worst. It, it was terrible. I hated it. For years, I hated it, because Sharon was really good at Christmas, and uh, I, I was not. And so I, I'd just be me and Alyssa, and it would be just depressing. Poor kid. And what I could have done is sucked it up and done what I was supposed to do. But no, not me. 
wallowing in self-pity. And it took me a while. It took me a while for it all to sink in. You know, and if I could go back and repair that, I would. She turned out okay. But, um, yeah, it would have been so hard for her because I made it hard. I made it hard because I didn't depend on the Father. I just looked around at my circumstances and said, well, doesn't this stink? And life stinks, and this stinks. I heard somebody, we were listening to the Christian radio yesterday. Uh, we're listening to Christmas music. And uh, the announcer said something that I found interesting that it was, I think is really true, is that the, the holidays or Christmas kind of emphasizes what's going on in your head. Kind of, what they say, more like magnifies it or intensifies it. That if you're a miserable person, Christmas seems to make you more miserable. And if you're a happy person, Christmas tends to emphasize your happiness. And you know what? That's actually quite true. So, you know, all of us want it. The whole human race wants it, to be happy and to be fulfilled. And Jesus here puts his finger on it. How many times have we read just in a few minutes, not my will, his will, not my will, his will, not my will, his will. And he found his fulfillment in it. So in order to fulfill the will of the Father, that he lose nothing, but to save all who would be given to him, he would have to endure the cross fully until he could say, it is finished. And they, oh, imagine the temptation. If you are the Son of God, come down off the cross, they said. Right? You saved others. Why can't you save yourself? Come on down. Oh, can you imagine if the pain of it, the pain and people are mocking you. And you could just, with a thought, kill them all, which is what we would have done. Right, like laser beams out of my eyes that have just melted them. But uh, Father, what, what does he say? Father, forgive them. It's incredible. So, and this is what he, he wants us to wrap our minds around. All right, one last one in John 7. And then, Meg, I haven't forgotten you. I've got the, we've got that one more Christmas carol to sing. John seven fourteen. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Uh, this is the feast of booths, or the feast of tabernacles. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now this is something. Um, Just one thought on this. That God's truth is seen in the doing. Right? He says, if you follow the will of the Father, you will know this is true. And nothing else is like that. There's no other thing out there that's like that. In other words, the truth will be recognized by us because we will see its fruit. And nothing else can promise that. So how important to do His will... Here, now, this isn't, well, I guess it would be both doing and accepting, but 
you, if you do his will, you'll know that the teaching is from God because you will see it. Right? You will see its outcome. And, and how many people have not, never seen it because they, they want proof at the front. Now, the proof is in the promise. But really, Jesus says the proof is in the pudding. You've got to eat it. <laughs> so, so I want you to prove it to me up front. And God will say, outside of me promising you, there's no way for me to do that. Uh, I mean, what do you want me to do? Show you the future in a dream or something and where look how happy you are doing my will? I'm not doing that. I'll give you my promise at the front. And then if you follow it, my promise is that you will see that this could have come from nowhere else but heaven. And that's the will of God for our lives. To make it, to, to, God dresses it in such a way to show us that your whole life will be fulfilled and have meaning by accepting my will, trusting me, and obeying my will, which again is trusting me. And everything else will fall into place. I promise it. Now, go and do. Let's go and sing. Are we ready, Christina? Uh, we're going to sing one more song, and then we'll just close in prayer. And I'm, I should be just about on time, I think.
idea, Meg. I'm going to do that more often. Oh, you can be seated. <laughs> I, uh, it always reminds me of uh, Scott Grande did our, our wedding, uh, Chris and I's wedding, and uh, he forgot to tell people to sit after, you know, opened in prayer. We came down, he prayed, and then he started talking, and people were standing for like 20 minutes anyway. It was so funny. Until somebody sat down. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to take our offering. Well, about skipping it, but why not? <laughs> uh, let's pray for our offering, and we'll close in prayer and, and get you home. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. In your, as your believer priests, we give uh, unto you, to you, in worship of you. And we ask, Father, that through your spirit that you would guide us in uh, using these funds to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. to call you a middleman, Keith. Let's just close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering. Merry Christmas to all. Thank you for the gift of your Son and for our ability to be together here this morning to enjoy your word, to enjoy the fulfillment of your will by our Lord and Savior who saved us, that each of us can with great joy know that we are saved and, Father, that you are forgiving and patient and also our our Father and the one who loves us more than we can possibly know, and you love us for all of eternity. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you have done. Anyone listening who has not come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you believe upon him, you will be saved. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only one who died on the cross for your sins and for mine. Believe upon him and you will have eternal life. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.